News Talk On Demand. Interruption-free audio, where you want it, when you want it. Good morning. You're listening to Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. I'm Aaron McNutt here with Rick Van Dyke from Dutch Growers. If you have a question for Rick, you can give us a call or a text. It's The, the number is all the same. It's one 877 332-8255. Ken has been waiting very patiently to talk to you, Rick. So we'll uh, we'll go to him first. Hi there, Ken. What's your question for Rick today? Hi, good morning. Um, I was wondering, if, Rick, if you would talk about uh, storing fruits and vegetables when you bring them in from the garden. We're on the farm out here, and, and uh, how do you prepare these uh, products for for storage, like should you wash them, should you not wash them, and so on. In mo- most cases, you shouldn't wash them, okay? In most cases, they'll actually preserve longer if you don't wash them. They actually have a little protective coating on them, just like when in the ground that protects them. So I know back in the days, we used to even put our carrots into a, into a bin of sand, and just layer them in sand in a bin in the in the cold storage room, and they were they would keep nice and fresh. They'd be so sweet and everything else. So just keeping them, keeping even the potatoes, keeping a little bit of dirt on the potatoes, um, sometimes is is better than than just washing real clean. If you if you want, if so, that's why it's good to if you can, unless it's really muddy out and raining when you're harvesting them, then you might want to get wash a little bit of the mud off of them. But other than that, uh, just put them out on some paper, let them dry. And then and then store them store them after that and uh, and make sure what's important what's important is that if you have any any kind of uh, your near vegetables that don't look right for whatever reason they might have a you know a black spot in it or a soft spot or whatever don't put it in with the rest of your 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 potatoes or carrots or whatever onions uh, because that will just spread to the whole batch okay so that's one right. thing that's okay. important. That's what I heard. And then, then, like with the potatoes, once they dry, you can just rub the dirt off a little bit instead of yep. washing. Eh? Instead of washing them, exactly. And what about your squash and so on? Uh, that's what I was, we were discussing that here. And somebody said that there's a protective coating on uh, most yep. of the products. Yep. This, the, if you can, try not to just wash them off. Just, like I said, just put them, let, put them on a piece of paper, newsprint or paper or whatever, let them dry. And then just rub, rub off, after they dry, just rub off any of the, the dirt that might be on them still. Um, because if, especially the squash and that, if they're laying on the ground, there'll always be some moist dirt that's on the bottom of it. Just we'll let them dry. And then, uh, and then just store them, store them that way. Store them in a cool place. Like that's why you have a lot of people have cold, cold little cold storage rooms, right? In a yeah. cool place and dark and um, and 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 dry. That that's the number one thing. Right, and what, and the squash. Uh, how do you keep it from uh, molding and and rotting? Like somebody said, if you wash with soap and water, they won't yep. mold. But I'm not sure that's true. Well, no, I I wouldn't wash with soap and water because I, I basically just as long as they go in dry they'll be fine okay the only time you'll get mold starting is that moisture is always not your friend when you're storing things okay okay and 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 that's when you'll get mold yeah and same with tomatoes and also making sure that you got air spaces between things if you can okay so that you got air movement and that's a big one too is is air movement you keep keeping things moving around it's stagnant stagnant when air so you even put a little fan in your in your storage room that would be good we have these 
these baskets we get these uh they're basically crates with two handles on them but they're all they're all we get them with our perennials in them and they all have slats in them so that they're open all the way around they, they're they're slits in them right all the way through the whole thing so air moves through these containers and you can stack these containers one on top of another but air moves through them and then it just keeps everything so they keep fresher so keeping air movement keeping them dry and um and keeping things spaces between things if you can uh, that's the best way to store them or put them into a, a sand like sand because the sand is kind of dry and that'll keep them fresh as well oh yeah things like things okay, like ground crops thank you very much okay. great show again okay. thanks okay. ken thank you all right all right we'll go to sue in eagle lake hi there sue what's your question for rick today hello um i have an depends um pitcher plant and it's it's a fairly young plant, but it did grow two pitchers this year. And yep. these pitchers, the the, the the pitchers have probably now been hanging for about five six months. Yep. And I see that the top of them is starting to dry off, right? The the top half of it, but the bottom half still has liquid in it, and it's still attached to the plant with that umbilical cord. I see yep. that the plant, all the leaves look fairly healthy. Uh, it's in moist uh, moss. I have a humidifier underneath it 24-7. I see that it is growing other pictures on the end of some of the other leaves. All the leaves look healthy. What do yep. I do with the two pictures that are now, they look like they're dying? Yeah, because what they'll do is they keep replacing the pictures. So basically those two couple pictures have finished what they've done for the plant, Okay. They've aged, they've aged, they've gotten older. Now the new pictures will come up and take over for the old ones. So basically what will happen in nature, those will just fall off. And then in the, the, that umbilical cord will just get, you know, dried up. And the pitcher mm -hmm. plant, that pitcher will fall down to the ground and then be compost, right? And mm -hmm. so, and then the new pitchers take over. So this is a natural thing that happens. They, they don't last forever. I mean, even a Venus flytrap, they'll only close about two times on, 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 on a fly. Uh, before then, they, before then they'll just dry up and die. That's why you don't want a Venus flytrap. You don't want to tease it by closing it with a pencil or something like that, because they only will close maybe two, three times the most, and then they'll die, and then a new, uh, a new trap will will form, right? And that's right. no different than the pitcher plant. So then they've just they've come of age, and you got the new one. So if you want, if it's, I'd leave it there till it totally dries up, and then you can just trim it off if you want. Okay. Okay, because the bottom of it still has about an inch and a half of liquid in both pitchers, yep. right? Yep. So, yep. I mean, it so, must still be feeding off these pitchers. Yep, which is fine. But as soon as you'll notice that whole, the whole pitcher will just dry up, Okay. Uh, then, then you can just trim it off if you want. It might, must take quite a while, right, because there's so much liquid presently in those yep. pitchers. Yeah, well, the, there always will be. A lot of times, there'll be liquid in there until until the plant actually dies completely, and then, of course, then the water will just drain out of the out of the pitcher itself because it'll just the tissue will just die and it'll just rot right through, right? So that's when you'll know that it's totally gone. Okay, so I can just leave them do whatever they're going to do and not worry yep. about them. Absolutely. Can I ask one more question about a watermelon? Yeah, sure. How do you know when your watermelon's ripe? Um, a lot of people like you ever go to the grocery store and you kind of give it a tap and it sounds like it's a little bit hollow, you know, and you uh -huh. can kind of tell when, when it's, when it's, when it's, when it also turns the color that you want and you look at it, it'll get a little bit of a white striping in it, but otherwise mainly just a little tap. But I mean, right now in Saskatchewan, um, honestly, the, the pumpkins will, will, you'll get the most size out of them 
in the in the first uh, two weeks of September, but you have okay. to use a crop cover to cover at nighttime because when the okay. temperature goes down below seven or eight degrees, you yeah. you want them to help finish off by putting a, a blanket over top or putting the crop cover over top, and that's you right between now and the middle of September when you'll get way bigger sizes. Uh, on your on your watermelons right now they're not that not that big they're probably around two or three pounds right maybe four pounds right your watermelons or so uh, if you wait until all of a sudden by in the in the first couple of weeks of september i don't know what it is they all of a sudden know the cooler temperatures coming and they'll just gain, gain size like crazy up to 17 pounds i've picked one so um to, but you have to cover them at nighttime otherwise it doesn't work and uncover them during the day and uncover them during the day Thank you so much. Thanks, You're Sue. Welcome. Bye. I know. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back. We have Jason waiting on the line, so we'll get to your call uh, right when we come back on Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. You're listening to Garden Talk on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. I'm Erin McNutt here with Rick Van Dyvendijk from Dutch Growers. Rick, we have Jason waiting for us on the line uh, from Estevan. Good morning, Jason. What's your question for Rick? Hey, I've, uh, we've had this house for about five years now. There's a flower bed. Took the flowers all certain grounds. Made another garden. And I keep moss and sheep manure and everything every single year. And I just have no vegetables. Like they're small. Everything is small every year. So everything's small. So it, does the ground seem like it gets really hard in it still? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So what you want to do then is, is basically the peat moss is not not helping to make it out. You need to use compost and you, use, you need to use a product called gypsum and also just yeah. a, even a, a little bit of... of of uh, cedar mulch chips, you know, a mulch, not chips, but cedar's mulch. Work okay. that into the soil. All those sticks and everything else in there, it look like it's sticky, and even with the gypsum, it looks like there's little rocks in it. Those all okay. keep the soil from not going hard. And the reason why okay. you, your raised garden, your, your garden is going hard, with the, with the that's why your vegetables aren't doing as well. Okay? Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah, that's why I kind of thought, like, I've been, like I say, I've been trying to do whatever I can, and I've I've uh, spent a lot of time and energy trying to fertilize and make it soft, but it just it just goes yeah. hard all the time. Yeah, yeah. The peat moss honestly doesn't do a very good job of that. It, it works good in your for amendment in the soil, but for making it from turning hard, you got to use compost and you got to use gypsum and also a little bit of uh, of cedar mulch and work that into okay. the soil next spring and you'll watch you'll just be able to pick the weeds out and and your plants will just do so much better because the the soil will be aerated and the soil will be, soil will be loose okay gypsum is called gypsum yeah gypsum okay. yes okay perfect okay okay thank you all right thanks jason you're welcome all right, we have a couple of texts that we can get to here. Uh, we'll start off with Sherry in Wishart. Uh, my rhubarb has new shoots coming up. What should I do to protect the plant? Should I just let it freeze if the weather gets really cool? And should I mulch it? Yeah, no, rhubarb, you don't need to mulch and just leave them. They'll be fine. Um, they, they, rhubarbs can adapt to anything. They're, they're, they're one of the toughest. Yeah. <laughs> They're pretty hardy. That you can, <laughs> that you can put in. Uh, just, I just noticed I was out the, in the fields the other day and I had an old burn pile that, that 
and there was a pile of dirt up which had dug this hole for, mm-hmm. for the burn pile and this pile of dirt was on the side and out the side of this this and especially this year it's dry like it's yeah. big time dry where this area is and no water at all in that area and uh this rhubarb is just i know it's inside of the pile it's just growing like crazy so <laughs> that plant there i probably planted that that plant there like i don't know 20 years ago and it's, and still, it's just still going <laughs> and, it, and it's in a spot in the field where i never used it for years and so they're tough as nails so yeah just leave them it'll be fine it'll be okay yep. <laughs> um this one coming from ruth in nipawin my tomatoes have blossom end rot what causes this and is there anything i can do Blossom end rot, yeah, we keep talking about that quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Just inconsistent watering, honestly, that's what it is, is that because especially in a drought year, you'll, we hear it lots because it's so dry that, you know, you water in the morning and the time you get home at night, it's bone dry again, yep. right? So, and then you water it heavy again and then it's go wet, dry, wet, dry, wet, dry, and then you'll get blossom end rot every single time. And so keeping consistent watering on, uh, is and sticking your finger into the soil, not using a schedule. Yeah. Okay. So um, don't 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 say I water every morning, every night, because you know a day like today it's a little cloudy. You're not going to do that, right? So stick your finger into the soil. If the soil it should be just moist, not wet, and it shouldn't be dry. And then also adding in a good compost, uh, like an organic compost, into your soil, but something that has calcium in it, and uh, calcium will help. It's not. It won't cure it. It won't. It, it just will help keep the plant healthier so it can resist having the blossom and rot. But honestly, number one, be consistent on the watering. And that's with your tomato, your, your tomatoes, your, your potatoes, your squash, your cucumbers. They all will get the same type of thing, especially peppers and cucumbers and squash. And, uh, they'll get the blossom and rot. So just inconsistent watering. That's the big one. That's the one to watch. Uh, We also were talking a little bit uh, off air here just about house plants. Now that we're starting to get kind of cooler at night, uh, people are bringing in some of those plants that they've let sit outside for the summer. What do we need to do to prepare? Maybe not just bringing them inside. (laughs) Yeah, just don't. A lot of people are going to, they plant tropicals, right? Yes. Whether the palm palm plants or, you know, whatever, you know, the, um, all their different, uh, like, with a rubber tree or a fig tree or even we had know, some hibiscus. Uh, poinsettias people were planting outside uh, yep, that we've talked exactly to. yeah they put their amaryllis bulbs out for the summertime mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff or they put the succulents outside for a yeah. little holiday from the summertime out in the deck <laughs> right and you want to bring those succulents in and so now you want to basically debug them they're going to be a lot of hitchhikers coming in okay yeah so you get an insecticidal soap get in the end all and spraying the leaves and make sure you got to spray. That's why I like doing it outside for, because I can almost sometimes lay the plant on its side a bit and then spray underneath the leaves and everything. And you need to do that now because you have to do it about two or three times, you know, and in about four or five days between if you can. Okay. And so, so we still have some time before the temperatures are really going to start, start dropping. Right. And so you want to, you just don't want to, you know, spray them once and bring them in because you won't get everything. Okay. Cause they're going to be eggs and yeah. everything else. So just make sure you give them a good soak. And if you've got a tiny little plant and that's not very big, the best thing to do is mix up a, a, a little pail or something like that with some, some endol or insecticidal soap in it and just tip the plant upside down and dip it right into the, into the pot. Okay. And then bring it out. And then now you coated everything and now you can bring it back in. And then you will have, when you bring everything back in, you're going to notice you're going to get the fungus gnats inside. And that's something there in the soil. Uh, you can use a, a pot called, called a pot popper right okay. now if you want, which is a nematode. 
it's a little insect you put onto your salt and they go those little worms go down and they feed on the on the eggs and the and the larva of the fungus gnat and they take care of them that way um or you can do the old trick of putting start putting little slices of potato you know when you're out there yeah. you know putting your baked potato on the barbecue cut a little slice off and throw one put in, it the, on top, in the mix on top on top of the soil and then you'll catch all the little larvae from the fungus gnats before they even come in the house so uh lots of things you can do just to get rid of that but spraying them a couple times absolutely before you bring them in uh it just everybody loves bringing their plants in because they don't want to you know they've had them out in the deck and now they want to them, just get rid of the hitchhikers first. Yeah, you kind of want to have a, a little bit of something. You know, yep. I, I always love kind of in the fall and winter when you have like, it's a little, it gets a little bleak outside, you know, as everything yep. kind of goes from beautiful and green and flowering to, you know, the the fall look. It's nice to have something in the house that's uh, <laughs> reminding yep. you of warmer days. And especially the bigger plants, you know, like the hibiscus mm-hmm. or the palm tree or the rubber tree or snake plant or whatever. Yep. Just blast you know put some put some plastic or something like that over top of the soil pot you know if you can't tip it over and just take the garden hose and just wash it down a bunch oh, of times you know yeah and then you can you can spray all the, a lot of those bugs right off of there as well so that's a good way of doing it i'm probably gonna have to do that today my snake plant absolutely exploded being outside this summer with all the heat and the <laughs> you know all the oh, all the sun it. they just love it um they love it before we take a quick break for news, we'll get to uh, one or two more texts. Uh, this one is from Ted in Regina Beach. Uh, stopped and was able to tell, or someone stopped me and told me uh, her beautiful flowering plant was a hydrangea. It was white, uh, about three feet in diameter, and it was blooming for a month at least. Do you have any idea what variety this could be? It was just covered in flowers. Okay, if it's white, there's quite a few different varieties that are mm-hmm. white. Uh if it's about three or three, four and a big, big flowers, yeah. it could be one that's called Incredible. Oh, okay. okay. Incredible. It has lots of flowers that bloom from about the beginning of July right up until freeze up. So it has, it's really long blooms. Okay. Yeah. Then there's a whole bunch more. There's another smaller one that's called Bobo that has white flowers as well and it's more shorter. Turn a little bit pink color in the fall, whereas the Incredible will stay white right through. Okay. And there's there's a whole plethora of, of uh, you know, there's quick fire, which which turns sort of a red color in the fall, more of a flatter flower, not round ball. Mm-hmm. You have uh, Strawberry Sunday, which is a cone-shaped, and they start white, and then all of a sudden the bottom turns like a pinky color and they, like a strawberry color oh, wow. with a white with a white topping, like a almost like a, you know, putting a little bit of, of you know, uh, uh, like ice cream, 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 whip, cream whip on the top yeah. type thing, you know. That's cool. And uh, and then there's there's more that that out there also also there's um, uh, there's invincible spirit, which is a round pink one, stays pink all summer long. So there's a whole bunch of them yeah. out there now that are hardy for Saskatchewan, and you know we won't get a, you won't get a plant that will bloom more than that. You just have to make sure that you don't plant them in a spot where they don't get good snow cover for the wintertime. Okay. So you don't want them on the south side of the house because it's too hot there, but the snow melts away from the house in the wintertime, okay? So best to put on the east side, on the west side of the house, or even the north side. So as long as they get four hours of sunlight a day on the north side, they'll bloom there as well. Perfect. We're going to take a quick break for news and then we'll be back with more Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. Good morning. You're 
listening to Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. I'm Erin McNutt here with Rick Van Dyvendyke from Dutch Growers. Rick, we've had a lot of questions about bugs so far today that we've taken both on air and off air. So we figured we'd, uh, we should probably touch on maple bugs because we're starting to see them around the, around the, around the province. Yeah, I know. I was at the farm the other day and I, we have a bunch of native ma- uh, maples all around the farm and I pulled a piece of implement out that I needed to, to haul over to, to my acreage and it was just covered. I picked it up and they were just <laughs> falling. They were falling off because the metal is warm, right? And yep. they're in the sun and they love to be somewhere where it's warm and they'll, which is up against your house or whatever. And you know what? Uh, those maple bugs, they're totally harmless. They don't do anything other than give you the EBGBs. Yeah, other than gross you out, they're safe. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So a lot of people say, I just don't like them. I don't want them to come in the house. I don't want anything. So, you know, some of the best ways to do that is just blast them with cold water, disperse them if you can. Um, They'll come back, obviously, again. you could, If you want, you can take a shop vac out there and vacuum them all up. That works good and just just deposit your shop back bag away, you know, after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, uh, you can use, uh, there's lots of sprays you can put on, on, on the wall. Like there's some pyrethrins you can put on the wall and there's lots of sprays like spider ban and all those kind of things. Uh, there's Dr. Doom you can spray on the, on the foundation of your house. Mm-hmm. As soon as they crawl, go across it, like spider ban or, or, or Dr. Doom, uh, you spray a, uh, just to just to take a spray and you spray it right on the concrete uh, on on the concrete uh, foundation, and as soon as they cross it, they die. It affects their nervous system and okay. they just die. Uh, you want to be careful of you using it on siding or stucco. I always go to a corner and just spray a little bit. Wait a couple hours till it dries to make sure it doesn't just doesn't discolor your yeah. siding or anything like that. You don't want to go blasting. That's all always your the siding. thing you forget about. Hey, it's like yeah. well, I want to get rid of these bugs like without yeah. question, and then you you know yeah. a couple days later Maybe. the siding's a slight. Completely different tinge. Uh, a, a different tinge, you know, and all this little design like someone's been doing graffiti on your on your house, right? It's a custom so, paint. It's custom paint. So, so yeah, just make sure you test it out on anything. Usually, I like putting it on the concrete foundation because it doesn't bother that. Yeah. And um, but otherwise, yeah, otherwise they're totally help. They're totally harmless, actually. So they don't bite you. They don't. Uh, they don't do anything really to the plants that much. And so they're just a, a nuisance because there's just so many of them. So. Yeah. Uh, um, just basically shoo them away, sweep them up, whatever. Uh, or like I said, using your insecticidal soaps on them works well or, or ambush works really well on them, um, to kill them or otherwise put your sprays on your foundation and then that'll keep them from piling up there, you know, cause they, they're just going, they're just finding something warm cause they'll be on the south side of your house, right? Where the heat's going up against the house in the, in, in the daytime, the more, especially in the morning. And there's heat radiating off at, at nighttime. Yep. And so that they're attracted to that and they just want to, they just want to keep cozy. And <laughs> like all of and, us, they just want to be toasty. And go around, this is the time of the year you should be going around your house and making sure that, you know, you take a little bit of caulking in that, go around where your gas line goes in your house, mm-hmm. you know, around your windows, making sure that all the gaps are filled in. So all these bugs that want to come in, don't can't can't find a spot to come in. So it's where your telephone line comes in, your power line comes in, your gas line around your windows mm-hmm. might be uh, at the at the base between your your um, your basement and where your 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 um, studs of your house come up. There might be a little gaps there. Just go go around, close up anything that might be a problem. Then you won't have bugs coming in the house as much. A perfect time to do the once over. Yep. Perfect. All right. We have uh, Dale waiting on the line for us now. Good morning, Dale. What's your question for Rick? 
Uh, good morning, Rick. Uh, yeah, I uh, have done this in the past with liquid fertilizers some 10 years ago, but I have, uh, like a lot of communities throughout uh, Saskatchewan, I have uh, um, pine trees that were uh, grabbed uh, some uh, 60 years ago out of the ditch from Candle Lake area. So mine are about, uh, I'd say probably 40 to 60 feet tall and uh I really noticed the stress this year, and I want to give them a bit of a multivitamin this fall uh, of granular fertilizer. Do I put it on the drip line, or do I put it direct, spread it directly underneath the tree to get maximum benefit? Uh, I've been to my local fertilizer company, and uh, they've told me what rate to put on for the area. But uh, where's the best place to apply the granular fertilizer? Put it right around the drip line of the tree. Okay. Right on the That's drip the best line. Spot. Okay. Yep. Around the drip line of the tree. And then also you're going to put it on this fall. You said you're doing a liquid or you're doing a granular? I did a liquid about uh, 10, at least 10 years ago. And I added yep. about, uh, I added about four liters of uh, liquid fertilizer, uh, uh, like a, uh, a phosphate uh, blend, uh, low yep. nitrogen. Uh, to about 300 liters or 300 gallons of water, and I added that to my uh, to my five big trees, and then I also flower pots and everything, and it was just amazing the next yeah. year. What yeah. happened? So so things. so do do that as late in the seasons as, as you can before the ground freezes. Okay. Okay. So I don't want to do it now because it's, yeah. it's too early. I don't want to force them to do anything right now. So yeah. do it basically do it sometime in October. Okay. Yeah. And then okay, you're perfect. You. That that nutrient will be down there, ready to go when it's going to take off the next spring. Yeah, I have uh, I think four pails of granular fertilizer for these five big pails and or these five big trees and and okay, that's what I'll do. Thank you very much. Okay, you're welcome. Thanks, Dale. Bye. All right, uh, we have, uh, we can probably do one more text before we go to a quick break here. Um, I've had an infestation of potato beetles this year. At the beginning of the season, I sprayed fairly often, but then gave up because it didn't seem to keep them under control. There are still a few grubs out there. I'm thinking of next year and wondering what else I can do beside planting my potatoes at the opposite end of the garden. So yeah, planting them in a different location is key. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, but potato beetles—they're going to find it anyways, I and mean, they just—they just do. So we, I don't know if you you remember a few weeks ago, um, Aaron, is that we we had people telling me uh, the results from using a piece slice of onion, yeah. right? And and one one, if I remember right, there was one lady that called in. She says she uses a one centimeter slice thick. Yeah. of a piece of onion she puts it in with a potato and she doesn't get anything and i have other people that tried that and they didn't get any results now mm-hmm. i'm not sure you know maybe it was maybe it's yellow onion or red onion i'm not sure which one yeah, works better <laughs> and i haven't heard that yet and so but one centimeter she says she doesn't get any 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 potato beetles at all other than that you just got to go and you got to pick them okay or, or or using things like you know the the endol insecticidal soap. If you're going to use things like ambush nut, you have to, you should be doing it in the evening when the bees are gone, not around your garden. You know, yeah, uh, because the ambush can anything with pyrethrum can affect the bees as well. So um, otherwise, yeah, it's it's a tough one. But I still I get more people having good success with the with a slice of onion, and they're saying one centimeter thick slice. 
and uh, they've having the best luck with that. Hmm. Uh, and other people that tried it said they had no success at all with that. Maybe they used, I'm not sure why. Yeah. Maybe they used a smaller, maybe too small of a piece of onion. I'm not sure. But um, uh, so that's about all you can really do. Bit of trial and error, but uh, definitely worth yep. giving it a shot. Yep. All right. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll be back with more of your calls on Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. You're listening to Garden Talk on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME. I'm here with Rick Van Dyvendijk from Dutch Growers, and it looks like we have a couple of callers waiting on the line, so we'll dive in. Uh, we'll start off with Joe in Prince Albert. Hi, Joe. What's your question for Rick today? Good morning. Um, I'm growing grass from seed, and uh, it's germinated, and uh, it's been about two weeks. I have it up at different levels, some probably four inches, some maybe not even a couple of centimeters. Anyway, some sparse patches, and my question is, can I fertilize it? Yep, you can use a starter fertilizer. That's the best thing. Um, even even that groundskeeper fertilizer it works really good because it's only a 16 nitrogen, but it has yeah. a 10 phosphorus in it, and the phosphorus will help get the roots established for this for this fall. So that works a good one. Or otherwise, there's other fertilizers that are actually called a grass starter fertilizer. So it's just a lower nitrogen. That's what you don't want to really force it right now. You just want to get them to root in really well. Yeah. And um, so either one of those will work really well. Okay, well, I have both. So given the choice, uh, I have groundskeeper and I have a starter mix. Yep. So um, I would, you know, I would, I would, whereabouts are you, you said? What, Prince Albert. Where do you live? Prince Albert? Yeah. Your soil, your soil pH is pretty good. If you're in Saskatoon, I would say use groundskeeper for sure. Prince yeah. Albert, if you, if you think that your pH is, is, is high, okay, I would use a groundskeeper because the groundskeeper has a sulfur in it, right? It has a right. 17S in it, and that'll lower the pH of the soil, and your roots will uptake way better, you know, do way better for that. Right. So uh, so I think, Prince Albert, you might be still in in your soil. Might be Your pH might be a little bit high, but it, depending on what part of Prince Albert you're in, I think. And, right. Uh, so okay. so I, I would tend to want to use a groundskeeper for, for, for where you are. Okay. Um, any uh, any um, issues or concerns if I did a little bit of a mix of both? Nope, not at all. Okay. No concern at all. Great. Thanks all right. a lot, okay. you guys. Thanks, Joe. You're welcome. All right, we'll go to Loretta. Uh, good morning, Loretta. What's your question for Rick today? Um, I have two apple trees. One did not bloom. The other had some blooms, not a lot. And the same with my cherry trees. Uh, they didn't bloom. How can I make them bloom? Yeah, what you can make them bloom is that uh, it's getting kind of late right now, but if you want to, uh, if you have a fertilizer at home that, that is like a, a 15 30 15 or a 10 52 10 or something like that, give I'm them a sorry. shot of high, of high phosphorus uh, of fertilizer. Okay? Yeah. So not. I don't want high nitrogen. The first number. I want a higher second number. Okay. Okay. And then, and then next spring, put on a, a, a fruit and berry fertilizer on them. Okay. Next spring. And then just have to fertilize them once again next spring, and then you're done. Uh, but you you should get. And the only reason you may have not got flowers this spring though too is that we had some weird weather this spring, and we had a lot of issues with frost. 
uh, even on the wild Saskatoons and everything else out there. So you might have had just some issues with uh, with flowering just from from the type of spring we had as well, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you want to make sure you get more, just uh, add it right now, as soon as you can. Don't wait a week or now. Do it now. Uh, put a high, higher phosphorus, like a 15-30-15 fertilizer, and mix it in about five gallons of water and pour it around the tree. Okay? How okay. big is the tree? How old is the tree? How old is the tree? Oh, the, the, the one tree is only two or three years old, but the other one has got to be five years. Okay, so put five gallons around the old tree and put about two gallons of water mixed around the young tree, okay? Okay. Okay? Okay, sounds good. There you go. Thank you very much. Thank you, Loretta. All right, we will go to Brian in Simpson. Good morning, Brian. What's your question for Rick today? Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good, thanks. How are you? Good, Good, thanks. Um, I I, I called a few weeks ago about uh, trimming trees, if it would be okay to do it. Uh, and bushes, and uh, it's, the question's kind of on the same line. Is I'm just wondering because the lilacs lo- really look horrible. Like besides the no rain, uh, the there's old uh, I guess branches in the middle that are yep. like dead. And yep. I'm wondering if I cut everything right to the ground, how long will it take for them to come back into to be like a bush? To be a bush, you're talking about if you kind of right down to the ground. Yeah. If you long as you, long as you fertilize every three weeks, next uh-huh. next May the tenth until the the fifteenth of July, it'll okay. only take a few years for them to fill out. But you're not going to get flowers for about three to four years. Okay. Okay. All right. When you trim so, them right down. Would it be better than to just cut the the old crap out of the middle and and or and and, and then the rest of it, it then it. Then you can trim the rest of it down in half if you want. Okay. okay. Then you'll have flowers in maybe, you know, two years from now, right? Oh, okay. But, right. but if you're going to cut it right to the ground, it's going to take a few years for it to get right back to blooming again. Okay. And is that the same with, like, caraganas? Caraganas, you can do what you want with those. They'll, they'll, they'll grow faster. <laughs> I mean, oh, you're okay. not worried about the flowers. I'm worried about the flowers, okay, and, yeah, and the lilacs. Course, yeah. The plant will yeah. be fine. The plant itself is fine. The flowers yeah. is what I'm worried about, getting your flowers back for your lilac. But caraganas, okay. yeah, you can do whatever you want with those. They'll come back like a fury. Okay, all right. <laughs> okay. okay. Thanks very much. I appreciate the, you're, the, you're welcome. the info. Thanks, Dwayne. Okay. But, thank you. Sorry, that was Brian. Dwayne's next. <laughs> I'm looking at my list, getting confused here. No, uh, we'll I just, go, want, I just wanted yeah. one thing. I wanted to add with that one. If he's going to do a major trimming, like right down to the ground, yeah. do when the plant is dormant. Don't do it right now. If you're just doing some minor cutting, one branch off here or there, you can do it right now, and not a problem. A major pruning, cut it right down to the ground. Wait till it's dormant. So wait until October. Okay, okay. so wait a wait a couple like a, a month yep. or so, and then yep. should be good to go. All right, we will jump down to Dwayne. Hi there, Dwayne. What's your question for Rick today? Well, I just wanted to suggest to you something that I've used for many years, and it seems to work very well. People have real trouble with potato bugs. Mm-hmm. They're yep. out there picking them. They don't want to spray them, so on and so forth. If you keep your tiller ready to go, yep. and just before the last time you think that tiller could break up your garden, go out there, end of November, whenever it is, you can tell by the weather, and uh, go through there as deep as you can, and it'll just come up terribly, terribly clumpy. Mm -hmm. And those eggs from those potato beetles can't handle that. As long as they're under the ground, they're okay. But if you can turn them up into the air, you can get rid of those bugs right now. 
Absolutely. Yeah, that, you're right. You're right. If you can turn that soil up, and even when you put all those clumps up like that, it looks really clumpy and hard and everything else in the fall, but the frost in the spring will break up all those clumps and it'll be nice and perfect for you in, as well. So, yeah, that's a good, good, good tip. I love it. Yeah. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Dwayne. Thank you. Uh, just a quick one. Uh, it's kind of related here before we end the show. Gene from Regina, uh, we just lost the call here, but uh, was asking, what causes potato scab? Potato scab is from too much basic compost. Oh, okay. Like potato, potatoes, if you put too much like manure, especially if it's green manure, you put too much of compost of anything, uh, like too many brand, uh, grass clippings and, you know, branches and everything else. And it's really heavy in compost. Potatoes don't like that. They, oh. they, um, so that, that's what will cause potato scab every time. So, uh, and also making sure that you, very, very important to to move your potato patch into different locations every year. Don't put them in the same spot every year. Even McCain's, they they when they plant it on the fields, they'll plant one year, and then for the next two years, they'll lease that. They'll they'll, they'll either rent the land, or they, if they own the land, Change they'll lease it out. out to farmers, and they'll grow a different crop in those for the next two years, and then they'll go back and plant. Take the crop is important. All right. And that brings us to the end of the show. You've been listening to Garden Talk here on 650 CKOM and 980 CJME.